Amen. Well, good morning, New Heights. Hope you're all doing well on this uh, beautiful, rainy Sunday. And if you're a visitor this morning or you've been traveling this summer, let me bring you up to speed. We're doing a couple of mini-series this summer. We did one in the book of Psalms, and we're now in the book of Proverbs. And we've been looking at a variety of different topics this summer, all the way from Psalms, uh, a specific word that we had on healing. I don't know if you guys remember that one. If you were here, powerful time, Jim Hall was talking to us, and there were a couple of stories out of Bethel, which, by the way, I don't know if you've seen the news, but there's been some fires out in California around Bethel. Pray for them. A lot of them are, we have people actually from our congregation who are there, so just pray for them, lift them up in your prayers. Uh, but we're now in the book of Proverbs, and we've been hearing a variety of, of messages on just godly wisdom instructions about how to live life God's way. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the first five verses of chapter 2, Proverbs chapter 2. So you can go with your Bible app or in uh, your Bible there. And we're going to be talking this morning about what we're going to call the divine pursuit. And let me say this right off the bat, that the purpose of this message is not to shame you about the spiritual disciplines that you are not practicing. This is not a shaming message. This is supposed to be an encouraging, instructive message. And what we're going to do is we're going to lay a really good foundation. And we're going to build towards application at the end. But this foundation, really, think about it this way. We're going to be looking at an understanding of a practical theology of who God is and how we, as his sons and daughters, can get to know him. And Proverbs is going to lay this out for us. So we're going to look at this text here. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And we're going to unpack those verses here just in a little bit. But can I tell you a story just to kind of start things off that I think will really set this message up well. Before I came to New Heights seven years ago, I was on staff with two different missions organizations for about 20 years. And I had the incredible privilege during those years to travel all over the world leading mission teams, mostly of college-age students. Got to go to over 40 different countries. And in those countries, really got to observe people in different religions and cultures trying to connect with God. I've been in Hindu temples, I've been in mosques, I've been in Buddhist temples, observing people trying to experience God, trying to connect with him. And one thing that stands out was a team that I had in the country of Turkey. It was a, it was a team of college students, and we were way up on the Black Sea in the northeast part of Turkey. It looks like Colorado out there. It's just absolutely beautiful. And we were working at an English school with Turkish college students, and they were taking us around town basically seeing the sights, learning their culture, seeing their history. We were living in their homes. And one day the Turkish students said, tomorrow we're going way up in the mountains. We're going to take you to a museum. And I was like, okay, well, I like the mountains. Museum, that'll be, we'll see how that works out. We drive up into the mountains, you guys, and this museum was built right into the side of the mountain. Literally, we had to hike almost straight up to get to this thing. It was tough. And we, we walk into this ancient place, and immediately I start to notice all over the walls of these buildings in this place, there are paintings. And as I look closer, I realize these are frescoes of Bible stories, all outlined in scripture, written in ancient Greek. And, I, and they said, this used to be a Byzantine 
monastery in the third century AD. It was a Christian community, uh, really the early church. And at the, at the back of this monastery was a cave that had been turned into a church. It was literally a cave church covered again from floor to ceiling with pictures of gospel stories. And we all moved in there to take pictures and videos. And I got a nudge from the Holy Spirit. And I felt like God said to me, worship me in this place right now. So I'm thinking, how do we do this? So I go to the Turks. I go, hey, you guys, you know what this is? This is an ancient church. And Christians used to sing here to God. And we sing to God in our churches back home. So we're just going to do that now for a little bit. You know, like cultural exchange, you're sharing your culture with us. We're just going to share some of our culture with you. And I got my team together. I said, guys, I said, close your eyes and worship Jesus. Just from your heart, just worship. Keep your eyes shut. (laughs) So we started to sing a cappella, And it really helped that the acoustics in that place were absolutely incredible. And we started to sing, and I opened my eyes about halfway through the first song, and the Turks literally were filming us. They were riveted. They were just watching. So I closed my eyes, and I just keep singing the name of Jesus. And we sang a couple of songs, and we got done. And literally, you guys, I heard them, I heard the Turkish students exhale, and they go, what was that? What was that? They're like, we felt something when you guys were singing. And what they didn't know that we knew is that they were feeling the Holy Spirit, God manifesting his presence physically, tangibly in that place. And then here's what happened. They said, what were the words? Please write down the words. We've got to know the words to those songs. And on reflection, why were the words so important? I I think that why they were asking for the words was this. In, In their religion, they're taught prayers in Arabic. And a lot of them, they don't know Arabic, so they just recite these words that they think are the words that will help them to connect with God. And really what they were asking for is they're like, they said, you guys just experienced and connected with God. We want to also. Now, why do I tell you guys that story this morning, besides the fact that it is a really cool story? Why I'm telling you that is that we've got to understand that a glorious truth is that as Christians, we do not have a theoretical impersonal religion or a religion where we have to do spiritual backflips or just try harder to conform to our moral code to connect with God. Christianity is about a relationship with a person who loves us with a faithful, relentless love and who actually, he pursues us. That's so different from the other religions of the world where people are trying to get their God's attention. Our God came down into history and into time. He stepped down and became a man, and he pursues us, and he wants us to know him and love him. Yes, our behavior and our morals will change, but first he wants us to know him and love him because he first loves us. Amen? And the book of Proverbs fits into this narrative and tells us we can know him. Verse 5 that we just read a couple minutes ago tells us we can understand the fear of the Lord. That is important practical theology. You can know him. You can really get to know him. And and when it says the fear of the Lord, let me just explain, because sometimes we have some confusion. That doesn't mean we're afraid of God. Yes, I mean, I know that God is awesome, and when he appears, you know, like on the mountain with Moses, they all go, oh. But here's the thing. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe of who he is. And it's an awe that makes us want to trust him more and obey him more. It's an awe that comes as we really get to know him, not just facts about him, but experiential knowledge of God, that he's loved, that he's a friend, that he's our father. And, And why does the book of Proverbs, I like to ask these kind of questions, why does the book of Proverbs place so much emphasis, such high importance on gaining knowledge and understanding of who God is? 
You ever wonder that? Here, I think, is the reason. Because your view of God impacts everything. Everything flows out of your view of God. I love what A.W. Tozer, the great 20th century pastor and devotional author, how he said this. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. What comes into your mind when you think about God is your narrative. It's your story. It's your view of what God is like. And our narrative about what he's like really matters. Why does it matter so much? Because that will determine your relationship with God. How you view him impacts the relationship, which that relationship impacts everything in life. And, and I know for me, growing up, I was raised in a faith tradition where I saw God as a distant, mean, kind of ticked off God who just lived to judge my performance. And so basically, as I became a teenager, I was just convinced God's just mad at me most of the time. And so here's the reality. In my mid-teens, in my late teens, I wanted nothing to do with that God. And I, and I ran from him. And I don't know about you this morning, maybe you were raised that way too, where you've got a, a picture of God that maybe isn't the same picture. You maybe don't know God, the God that Jesus knew. You might say, I know some things about God, but do you know the things about God that Jesus knew? Do you see the Father the way that he did? And I know for me, at the age of 18, when I became a Christ follower, and I started to read the Bible, I mean, really read it for myself, and a, an image started to emerge and I started to understand that God is not way far off and he's not in a bad mood. He actually wants us to know him. And I would read verses like James 4, 8. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. So this morning, just a quick application. If you're not sure how your narrative is about God, maybe you go, I'm not sure if I know God in the way that, that Jesus knew God. Maybe my narrative is off if, if that's your fear, I want to encourage you to do something. This week, as you read your Bible, I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, show me who you really are and remove any misconceptions I have about you. Really show me who you are and remove those, those misconceptions, those false narratives. I also have a book that I'd like to encourage you to check out. Uh, it's a book that really challenges your, your narrative and I think clearly portrays the God that Jesus knew. It's called Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. And I've got some copies of it out in the lobby bookstore on sale. Uh, you can also pick one up at Amazon. Well worth the read, you guys. Very good, encouraging, challenging book. Now, there's a question that comes up as we start into this conversation. We're laying this foundation again. The question that comes up is we're starting to lay this foundation of relationship and pursuing God. And I've had this come up a lot in discipleship relationships. People will ask me and they'll say, does my experience of Jesus depend all on me? Does it depend all on him? How much is him? How much is me? What's the balance? Do I have to do some things? And I think that we really get confused sometimes, especially as evangelicals, because we emphasize grace so much, which, hallelujah, we should. Grace is amazing. But sometimes we go, well, because there's grace, does that mean that I'm just off the hook? I don't have to do anything. Uh, I don't have to pursue anything. I'm just good. I got my ticket punched for heaven. Hallelujah. Here we go. And there's some confusion here. So... Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, I think, really speak to the, the dynamic tension between God pursuing us and us pursuing him. Let's look at it. 
It says in Philippians 2, verse 12, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Can everybody say this morning, work out? Good job. Okay, verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Can everybody say, for it is God? Okay, so here we have a, a divine tension. You'll see these in scripture. And, and there are verses like this and others where we see that God works to draw us to himself. He initiates the work of grace in our hearts. But the outworking of that is our following hard after him. One of my favorite quotes by Dallas Willard is this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Do you get that? That, that because we're walking in grace doesn't mean we put in effort, but, but grace definitely is opposed to earning. We can't earn a thing here. We're already in his hands. The Bible makes it clear, though at the same time, that effort is required in our pursuit of him. You'll see this in verses like Jeremiah 29, verse 13, that says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this means that the way that we pursue God matters. You've got to put heart energy into it. And this idea of heart energy, I think we all get if you've ever pursued a boy or a girl that you wanted to date, right? You put heart energy into that. Or trying to get into the school that you really want to get into or land that dream job. You put heart energy into that. Value drives your actions. What you value moves and motivates you. And that same thing works in our relationship with God. What we value is important as we seek him. So a, a statement that I just want to put on the screen here that I think is important for us as evangelicals to understand is that salvation is a free work of grace, but intimacy, specifically with God, it requires some effort. Intimacy requires effort, and this is how it is in every relationship, close relationships that you have, that I have. For example, when I started to date my wife Marla, if you were to ask me in the first year that we were dating or even married, if you were to say, Kevin, do you really know her? I would be like, yeah, I know Marla. But I know her in a way different way now after 20 years of traveling the world together, of working to raise three kids. I would say that I really know her, how she ticks, how she thinks, how she's wired, what she loves, her hopes, her dreams, her fears. And that type of knowing takes constant back and forth interaction. Dialogue, intimacy requires some effort. And as we've been talking in this series in Proverbs about how wisdom doesn't just come in an instant. Wisdom is something that we grow in. It's developed over time. It's the same with knowing God deeply. And the book of Proverbs opens a dialogue for us and gives us some real specifics. Now we're going to move into that application as we unpack the text in Proverbs chapter 2. So go there now again. Let's, let's read through this text here one more time. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. It says, my son, if you accept my words. You guys, as we read this, listen to these action words. Accept my words. And if you store up my commands within you, if you turn your ear to wisdom, if you apply your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you notice these action words? These words do not advocate passivity 
In fact, it's quite the opposite. These are action words. And at the end here in verse 5 where it says, you'll find the knowledge of God, that's the same language that the Apostle Paul is using in Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Not just some doctrinal facts to get my heaven card punched. I really want to know him. I want to be intimate with him like a best friend. I want to know my father. I want to know him, is what Paul is saying there. So what we need to ask right now, I think it's really appropriate, is the million-dollar question. Why? Why should you want to do this? Why put effort into seeking and knowing God? I think getting the why down is really important. Because a lot of us, we lack that motivation in pursuing God. Understanding the why is really key. And the book of Proverbs gives us a why. It gives us an answer. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. It says, The fear of the Lord, that reverential awe, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Now, is Solomon saying here that if you seek the Lord this way, then you're going to live to be 95? Is that what this is teaching? I mean, I don't know, maybe. You could live a little longer. But I think really what this verse is speaking to is if you will seek God this way, you will have a life. You'll have a life. You'll have what it describes in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and you might have it full, and you might have it abundant. This is talking about that Jesus quality life, the life that you were created to live. If you'll get to know God, if you'll understand the fear of the Lord, you'll walk in that. And this concept of life is all through the book of Proverbs. Let's look at a couple other verses. Proverbs 19, 23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. There it is. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Also, Proverbs 8, 35, it says, for whoever finds me, again, this is the, the understanding of who God is, that wisdom, that knowledge of him. It says, they find life and they obtain favor from the Lord. So life, this, this life in this world comes from knowing God. And why is that important? Because as you know him, listen, you guys, as you know him, you'll learn how much he loves you. And why is that important? Because as you learn how much you're loved, you'll start to love God back. You'll obey the first commandment, which is to love God with all your heart. And then as you do that, you'll start to trust him and you'll start to obey him more. And then guess what happens? Your morals start to change. Your character starts to change. Your heart starts to change. And you start to walk in what the Bible describes as transformation transformation. And why is transformation important? It's important because transformed people transform families. Transformed people transform communities. Transformed people transform nations. And so to walk in these things that Jesus has called us to, we've got to put in the effort to know him. Are you with me? So for the rest of this teach, we're going to get super practical. Like I said, we're building the foundation. Now we're going to really, really get to the pinnacle of it. Let's look at verse 4. I want to highlight some of the language here in Proverbs 2, verse 4 again. It says, if you look for it, that, that insight and understanding of God, as for silver, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, why is Solomon using this type of language, this whole looking for treasure type of language? What does Solomon understand? Solomon understands something. 
The writer of Proverbs understands that value produces action. Think about it. What you value motivates you. What you value produces action. Just like not too long ago, we had 300 plus college students probably go, you know what, I'm dropping everything in Fayetteville and I'm driving to Omaha to see the Hogs play in the Baseball World Series, right? And I don't have to think twice about that because it's the Hogs. I value the Hogs. So we're going to Omaha. Let's just drop everything, go to Omaha, right? You don't have to think twice because your value, your value, what you value drives your motives and your actions. And so the writer of, of Proverbs understands this. And he's talking about treasure. And what is it about treasure? Here's the thing. I think a lot of us can relate to this because I don't know about you, but a lot of kids, I know I did this. I used to daydream about finding an old map in my grandparents' attic that would lead me to some treasure, right? Or, or maybe, you know, you grew up, you know, thinking I'm going to be a pirate. We're going to bury treasure. And, and what is it? Why is, why is Solomon using this, this uh, understanding of treasure? Well, here's the deal. Solomon knew something that Hollywood is actually cashed in on. Hollywood understands that people want to find treasure. I know for me, when I was growing up as a kid, it was the movie The Goonies. Anybody with me seeing The Goonies, right? I mean, were those kids motivated to find the treasure and they face scary people to find the treasure? Yeah. How about some other movies? How about uh, Indiana Jones? Sure. Count of Monte Cristo, National Treasure, Hollywood knows something. Hollywood knows that people want to find the treasure and they'll go to just about any length to get it. I want to tell you another quick funny story. When I was about 10 or 11, my twin brother and I decided that we were going to go into my friend Brian's backyard and dig a hole. Just one summer. I mean, it made perfect sense. Just dig a hole. Why? Because I don't know. We just want to see how deep we can dig. So we're digging a hole. And it's hot and we're tired and we're just digging and we're not getting very far. And all of a sudden, you guys, as we started digging, we started to see black stuff mixed in the dirt. And we turned to each other, and our jaws dropped open, and we're like, we just struck oil. Oh, my gosh. And so we start digging faster, you know, because we're motivated. Who cares if it's hot? Who cares if we're tired? We're motivated diggers now. We're searching, and we're finding more of this oil. And then we dispatch, you know, my friend Brian in to tell his dad that we discovered this fortune in the backyard. And he goes in, and he's like, Dad, we discovered oil. And his dad just kind of starts shaking his head. And he has a big smile on his face. said, you boys, go fill that hole in. Went, Why? Well, y'all just discovered where I bury my oil from my, my car, you know, oil changes. And uh, I guess we're not moving to Beverly after all, you know. It's like, oh. And that's a funny story. But you see, there's just something about treasure that causes people to expend more energy. More time, more of anything else in their life to find it. Value produces action. So let's make the application for us. Do you have little energy to pursue Jesus? Do you find yourself saying things like this? I don't have time to spend with God. I don't have time to read my Bible. I just can't get out of bed. If that's the case, what's the disconnect? Is it that we're lazy or we're distracted? Probably on some level. But it could also be that, that we don't understand the value of the treasure yet. We haven't dug deep enough. And it could also be that there's somehow wrapped in all that, there's spiritual warfare. And as we start on this quest for the greatest treasure of all, we cannot be naive. We have an enemy who wants to stop us dead in our tracks. He doesn't want us to find the treasure. And to illustrate this, think back to every Indiana Jones movie you ever saw. What surrounds the treasure as he's trying to get to it? 
trying to keep him from getting into it. Booby traps, right? I mean, there's either some big rock or there's a pit full of snakes or there's big blades that'll cut you in half, right? There's always something that he's got to go around to find the treasure. So let's get real practical. What are some things, some traps that keep us from getting to the treasure in our Christian lives? I want to describe four of them to you this morning. Number one, we give up too soon. We just give up. We settle into a mindset that says, I'm just not feeling anything or I don't seem to be changing fast enough. And so we start, to start, we start thinking, well, maybe God isn't really that good or maybe he's holding out on me or maybe he's unknowable. And we start to develop these narratives, you guys, and these narratives will stop us dead in our tracks. There's a story that has inspired me to keep seeking no matter how I feel at the moment might be a story you've heard. It's about the great treasure hunter, Mel Fisher. Mel Fisher was a treasure hunter, and he set out to find two Spanish treasure galleons that had sunk in a hurricane off the the Keys in in Florida in 1622. These two ships went down, and he said, I'm going to find those ships. And he had a mantra. He had a saying. His saying was this. Regardless of how he felt or how the process was going, he would wake up every day and go, today's the day. Today is the day. He would wake up with a hope and an anticipation and an expectancy. Today could be the day that we find those ships. And he could have easily give up because he suffered so many losses, so many setbacks. There was a storm that happened. There was an accident. And his oldest son died out on one of his ships as they were searching. And then he fought over 100 court battles. The final court battle went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court where he won. And you guys, after 16 years of searching, Mel Fisher finally found the treasure ships. He found the mother load, which contained literally 40 tons of silver and gold, including 100,000 Spanish silver coins known as pieces of eights, the coins, the gold bars, the silver bars, the Colombian emeralds, the artifacts that he recovered are worth billions of dollars in today's market. But what if Mel when he got pushed back, when it was hard, when he wasn't seeing anything, what if he'd given up after the first year or even after the 15th year? Nobody woke up every day and said, today's the day. So you guys, application for us is we cannot throw in the towel with God when we just don't feel like we're getting anywhere. And this is a real challenge for us in our fast-paced, instant download culture where we just go, I'm just not feeling enough. So I'm just gonna kind of just not read my Bible because it's just dry and I'm not getting anything. So I'm just gonna give up. Because here's the thing, people will give up because there's no immediate reward. And the Bible speaks to us about this type of thinking in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder. And that word rewarder in the original language means he will prove to be a rewarder of those who earnestly seek after him. So we've got to believe as we seek after God that he's worth it, that he's valuable. This isn't just doing some ritual, that he's worth it, and that there will be a reward ultimately. It might seem like duty or discipline for a while, but eventually we'll get to the joy that's described in in the parable of the, the man who found the treasure in the field, which we're going to read in just a minute. But I want to get to our second booby trap that sometimes Christians, we get stuck in. Number two, complacency. And this is a big one for people who have been raised in the church. 
because you've been raised in the church and you feel like I'm doing pretty well, at least I'm doing better than my other friends, my other Christian friends, I'm doing a little bit better spiritually than they are, so what we end up doing is we just settle. We settle, we plateau, and we settle for where we are. It's like, as complacent Christians, we're settling for crumbs when there's a buffet table spread for us. We're like, I don't want the buffet, I just want the crumbs, I'm good, I'm good. David is an example in the Psalms of somebody who grew up knowing the Lord, but who never settled. Check out what he says later in his life in Psalm 63, verses 1 and 5. He says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. There's that language again. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Fat and rich food. I think Lee Epstein has this embroidered on a pillow somewhere in his house. This verse right here. He's such a foodie. He's like, yes, I love that verse. It's my life verse, right? Um, Hallelujah, yeah. But, you know, this verse 5 sounds like a Texas Baptist potluck. You know, have you ever been one of those Baptist potlucks where it's like, you got to have two plates to, you know, and they just keep bringing it out and bringing it out. And you're like, oh, right? Not selling for crumbs. Going for the Texas Baptist potluck. But here's the thing. Some of you might go, well, but Kevin, I'll be honest, I just don't have a whole lot of appetite for God. But what do we do about that? Do you just settle and go, well, that's just how it is. I just don't have appetite for God, so I'll just, you know, whatever. Do you remember what your mom used to say to you when she'd say, okay, supper's going to be in an hour, and then you're like, mom, can I have some Twizzlers and Oreos before supper? And, and you're going, it makes perfect sense. I want Twizzlers and Oreos before supper. And what would your mom always say to you? And she would tell you why you can't have Twizzlers and Oreos right before supper. She'd say, don't eat that. You'll ruin, spoil your appetite, right? You'll spoil your appetite. Here's the thing. If we don't have a whole lot of spiritual appetite, maybe we're filling ourselves up with spiritual junk food. Could that be true? That we're filling ourselves up just with other things? And, and here's the thing. If we're all very, very honest, it's probably this. It's probably our phones, right? This is what gets me all the time. It's, pro- it, it, it's our phone or, or it's things on our phone like Facebook or Pinterest or it's Netflix or whatever, fill in the blank. We don't have a lot of spiritual energy to pursue God because we're just filled up with other stuff. So this is where soul training comes in. You've probably heard the term spiritual disciplines. I like to actually call them soul training exercises, And there's a fantastic soul training exercise. And the reason I call them soul training exercises is they're like physical therapy. Like it hurts in the moment, but you'll perform better. You'll function better if you do your physical therapy. And so a a soul training practice that I do to help me with my spiritual appetite is fasting. Fasting is just a real practical way to increase our appetite for God, to put down our flesh, to seek the Lord. And I know fasting, when you think about that, you think about food, and that's hard for some of us. I, I'm not a big food fasting guy. I try to fast three or four meals a month. Uh, but I, what I will do is at the beginning of every year, at the new year, I'll do a 40-day fast of something. Just something, not food, but I'll, you know, whatever, something that I enjoy, something that takes some of my time. Sometimes it'll be a certain, you know, style of music and I'll just listen to worship music for 40 days or it'll be social media or it'll be whatever, fill in the blank. But, but when you fast, it increases your appetite for God. I encourage you to practice that soul training exercise. Let's go to the number three trap that a lot of us fall into. The booby trap is legalism. And I could say a lot about legalism. I don't have a lot of time, but this is what it looks like to have a check the boxes Christianity. And it's just easy to fall into this. Why do we fall into legalism? I think, again, part of the reason why is because our narrative about how God views us is off. And we feel like we have to earn his love. We have to earn his approval. 
We have to earn his favor. And so I'll read my Bible and I'll go to church and I'll pray because I have to because I don't want God to judge me and I don't want him to be mad at me and I want him to bless me and I want him to use me. So we practice the, these spiritual disciplines as a form of trying to earn something or prove something. And you guys, it's a deadly snare. It leads to complacency and burnout. And we've got to remember that the spiritual disciplines are wisdom. They're not righteousness. Ooh, that's good. I'm going to say that again. The spiritual disciplines are not, they're, they're wisdom. They're smart. You should practice them. But they're not righteousness. They don't make you any more righteous. Jesus has made you as righteous as you can be. And everything comes out of that. Amen? We don't have to, we get to with Jesus. Everything flows out of that. Hallelujah. So if we have little energy to pursue, we have to ask, am I trying to prove or earn something? Let me go on to number four, booby trap, is that we don't plan to pursue. We don't plan. I used to have a saying in my house, maybe you heard this growing up. We used to say in my house that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Have you ever heard that? If you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Jesus told a couple of parables that I think really speak into this value, treasure, pursuit paradigm. Let's look at them for just a minute. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These two parables depict two different kinds of seekers, two different kinds of pursuers. The first one just kind of stumbles on the treasure almost by accident, not really looking, finds the treasure. You guys, this was me as an 18-year-old. I wasn't looking for God. I was actually running from God. He came chasing after me. I think that was in part due to the prayers of my roommate and my two godly grandmothers. Prayer changes things. Prayer matters. God came chasing after me and swept into my life, and I found the treasure at the age of 18, still finding it, obviously. The second type of pursuer in the parables is the focused, the determined, the merchant who has a plan of pursuit, prioritizes pursuit, and spends the energy to find what he's looking for. And I think that this is a great picture and illustration that Jesus gives us. And when I think of somebody finding Jesus this way, I can't help but think of Rosaria Butterfield. And we've talked about her sometimes in some of our, our teachings here, but Rosaria was a tenured professor of English at the University of Syracuse. She also was a radical feminist Lesbian atheist who wanted to have nothing to do with God at all, actually set out to disprove God. But it was through her dialogue with a local pastor. She met this local pastor, and he challenged her. And she decided, I'm going to go on a focused pursuit. If, if any of this stuff is true, I'm going to find out. She said at first she was doing it academically. It was an academic pursuit. But here's what happened. She started spending time with that pastor and his, uh, and his wife. And they started eating together, having community, sharing books together. And then they started to read the Bible together. And you guys, after two years of reading the Bible, this atheist English professor gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ and found the greatest treasure of all. And she didn't stop at just meeting him. She's still chasing hard after him. But she was a focused pursuer. 
I think it's a great picture. And if you've ever dated someone, you understand having a plan of pursuit. At least I hope you understood having a plan of pursuit because if you didn't have one, the relationship probably didn't go anywhere or you broke up, right? So, so I know for me, when I think about planning pursuit, I'm going to tell on myself here for just a minute. When I was pursuing Marla to get to know her, to start dating her, I discovered something. I discovered that Marla liked to run. And I discovered that she would run past my house like three times a week at the same time in the afternoon. So what did I do? I bought some running shoes, right? And I made a plan. I changed my schedule so that I could be at the end of my driveway. And the first time she comes walking by and I'm stretching, you know, and she comes by and, and, and I'm like, hey, you run? I'm like, we should run together. And so we started running together. And, and, and I remember I'm running and I'm going, oh God, I hate to run. And I'm like, what are you doing to me? You know, but I'm prioritizing and planning pursuit. And you guys, it worked out. We got married. It worked out. Hallelujah. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So what do we do with a message like this, you guys? Because it's so easy to hear a message and go, I totally agree, Kevin. But then we walk out the doors and we don't change our patterns. We don't change our habits. We don't prioritize pursuit. We don't plan. So I want to challenge you. And I'm gonna, in just a minute, I'm going to give you eight practical things that we can engage in this week. I want to encourage you to pick one or two of those. Change your habits. Change your patterns. Start to develop some new, some new patterns. That patterns specifically that make the narratives about who God is real in your life. If you think about the spiritual disciplines, what those are is they're taking the narratives of who God is and they're grinding them into your heart and your soul, making them who you are. That's what spiritual disciplines do. It's doing reps like getting in the gym. I like, that's why I like to call them soul training exercises. But if, if you don't like that term, I want to give you another illustration the Bible uses that I think is real practical. The Bible's real practical. It gives, Jesus gave these real practical pictures of treasure. But it also, the Bible talks about tree roots. Let me talk about roots for just a minute. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, this is us, so walk in him rooted. That's an important word, rooted. It's like putting roots down deep, not out on the surface, but deep into who he is. Built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3 uses similar language. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That means the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night, just meditating, doing reps, getting that narrative in there. It says, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water. Literally, the picture is sending roots down into the riverbed tapping into the water, and it yields its fruit in its season, its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. This is the picture of the Christian life. So this is not an exhaustive list I'm going to give you, but I'm going to list really quickly eight of probably the most common soul training exercises or spiritual disciplines. And again, you, you know these, you've heard these things. New Heights, we talk about these a lot. But I want to encourage you this week to pick one or two of these and go, I am going to put down roots deep into Jesus by engaging in these activities. Not to try to earn something, but in an effort to get to know him and pursue the relationship. Number one, prayer. I think we all get this one. Proverbs 2, 3, we just read, it says, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, does this describe your prayer life? How often do you call out? Do you cry out? Do you go, God, I want to know you. Change me, change my heart. I want to know you, God. Show me who you are. Prayer, number one. Number two, the word. 
And this is, again, Proverbs 2.1 that we read earlier. It says, store up my commands within you. Don't treat the word of God casually and go, yeah, I've got a Bible. I've got four of them, and they just sit collecting dust. No, store up. It means to lean over it, even with a pen, writing things down. And going, God, I'm gonna, I want to meditate on these things and memorize these things and keep them in my heart and take them with me to work and school and wherever I go. Being in the Word and storing it up. Number three, worship. Worship for me is, again, one of those exercises that really helps to get the narrative of who God is into my body and soul. Worshiping with God's people, worshiping in my car, worshiping at home just throughout the week. So important. Number four, community. And we emphasize this all the time at New Heights, but being with like-minded people, talking about these things together, doing life together, talking about who God is at work and in our parenting and in our marriages, bringing him into all of that. Number five, serving. Giving of our time, talents, treasure, resources to serve the kingdom of God. Number six, giving. That again is giving of our resources. It's, it's a form of worship. Number seven, fasting. I already talked about that. And number eight, confession. Confession is huge. I think it's highly underrated in church these days. But to confess our sins to God, it, to be cleansed. We're already clean, but, but we just get cleansed all over again. Confessing to God, confessing even, it says in James, to one another so that we might be healed. Again, I want to put up a picture that I think illustrates this. It is the picture of just the tree roots and do you ever notice trees aren't going, I've just, this really stinks. I've got to put down roots to get to the water. It's just, I've got to do this, right? You, trees don't do that. Trees are going, I want to put down roots into the water or I die. I've got to get my roots down deep. And so prayer, worship the word, just think about them this week as ways to put down roots deep into Jesus and get the life, the life of God in you. Amen? So we're going to move into our worship and ministry time now, and I want to encourage you. And I want you to ask this question. Where am I this morning? Where am I? Am I stuck in any of those booby traps that we talked about? Giving up? Complacency? Legalism? Or am I just not prioritizing and planning pursuit? Am I filled up with other things? Have I, have I spoiled my appetite? And here's the thing. If the Spirit of God is convicting you right now in one of these areas, please don't step into a fifth trap that I didn't talk about this morning. It's the trap of shame. God doesn't want to shame you. This is not a shaming message that we have from Proverbs. God loves you passionately. He's been pursuing you your whole life, and he wants you to know him. And this isn't a message of shame. This is him saying, come to me. I want you to know me. I'm a loving father. I'm a faithful friend. So don't step into shame. What this, this message is, is to say it's possible to live life this way. You can do it. You can know him. You can walk in these things. But if you feel stuck this morning, I want to encourage you, and I'm going to ask our prayer team now to start to move just around the room. And I would encourage you to confess this morning and just say, God, I, I think I'm stuck in one of these things. Maybe it wasn't by my choosing or maybe it was just through negligence, but I stepped in the trap and I'm sorry, God, that I'm here and I don't want to stay here. Would you please set me free? Guys, he would love in his unconditional love and mercy to set you free this morning. And I also want to encourage you this week 
to pick up the shovel and start digging. Just start digging. Start digging deep into his word. Meditate on his, his words. Read it slow and contemplatively. Read great Christian authors. Enter into dialogue with other believers in community. Pick some of these, these practices that we talked about. And if you're tempted to give up, if you've been there, I want to encourage you, you guys, God is worth it. The whole message this morning is he is worth it. He is the greatest treasure of all. He's the most beautiful personality in the universe. He's worth getting to know. So go for it this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Christianity is so different in that we don't have to try to get our God's attention. We already have you stepping down into time and saying, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus greatest demonstration of love. I'm going to pursue you. But Father, we also know that that intimacy requires effort and we don't want to just settle and be complacent. So help us to be hungry and thirsty for you, God. And I pray for us, if, if any of us are stuck in any of these traps, these snares this morning, in the name of Jesus, set us free. Set us free so we can run hard after you, God. And help us to know that you love us so that we can love you in return and we can follow you wherever you lead. You're the greatest treasure of all, Father. We love you, Jesus. We ask and pray these things in your name.